Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. Here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. Good morning. I'm Lonnie Shambi, and with my partner and good friend, Stan Simpkins, we welcome you to another episode of Small Business Wake-Up Call. Hope it's warmer wherever you are than it is here. Whether or not you've experienced these events, we want you to imagine the stress of getting married or planning a funeral. Think of the time you'd have to invest. Think of the costs and how that might impact you financially and emotionally. Now combine those two challenges and then multiply the result by five. And you come close to appreciating what exiting your business can be like. When we speak about exiting your business in a previous podcast, We framed it as your end game. Invariably, that's why you started your business. It's simply the answer to the question every entrepreneur or small business owner asks himself or herself at multiple points in the enterprise's history. Why am I doing this? Your end game should be about growing your business, building value that provides a return on your investment of capital, time, and energy. When you're ready to exit the business, and realize that value. That's your exit plan, helping you to achieve that end game. Yeah, and we promised you, we take you through the selling process and how to create and execute on your exit plan with the right buyer or partner and the right transaction for you, all with war stories that can bring the key points to life. And that's the topic for today's podcast. Now, obviously in 30 minutes, we can't cover the waterfront. So we'll hit the highlights, all with a series of entertaining and educational war stories that could save you money in the future. Let's start talking about the planning your exit and then executing it on your plan. Now, the process of selling a business is one that can easily become a business of its own. Don't we know that, Lonnie? It's like, oh, my God. Just choose up huge amounts of time, cause you to take your eye off the ball. The distraction is unbelievable. Everyone underestimates this, especially if you've never been through the process or dealt with people who have been through the process. It definitely negatively affects the management of day-to-day business and worse yet, it can impact the very value that you build up over the years. A typical sale, it could take minimum six months, though generally it's at least more than a year from the time you confirm your decision to sell. But time and costs aren't your only costs. The emotional drain and its impact on your team, your family, and your business are often the biggest costs. And it's not only about the tactical and legal stuff. For these reasons, it's essential that you develop a proactive plan and seriously consider how to best use professional advice in preparation for the sales self. And if this wasn't true, then we wouldn't have tour guides, travel planners, 
coaches, from professional athletes, and well, you get the idea. Business owners who have been most satisfied with the outcome of their sale have used professional advisors. Your accountant and attorney will be invaluable throughout the process, but you really need to have substantial experience beyond their technical expertise. Successful sellers have tended to use an intermediary like an investment banker or a merger and acquisition advisory firm. There are boutique firms that specialize in working with smaller businesses. And what exactly do these folks do for you? They'll help you package your company, create a summary selling document that will go to prospective buyers. They'll also effectively guide you as the seller through a complicated process of preparation, finding the right buyer, and negotiating the right deal. And Lonnie, we keep telling them, our valued audience, that we're not here to lecture them, but really to create top of mind awareness. So in keeping with telling them what they already know, I'll tell them one more thing they already know. Having a professional advisory team working for you can save time and money, and bigger than that, unnecessary aggravation, and that's the deal killer. To say nothing of the effect on the quality of life during and after the transaction. And time, Stan, time. What people don't understand is how much time this takes. It's another company. You're running another company. They don't know it. It's a short time, but it's intense and very emotional. I've never seen anybody take the emotion out of it, even though they could manage it. Possibly the single most important financial and professional event in their life. I had a client, in fact, we use this example in discussing some other issues in previous podcasts. This was a $10 million home health care company. They sold oxygen beds and things like that for people who needed care at home. It was three siblings, two brothers and a sister, and helped them to get a broker who actually specialized in industry. We made a good choice. It was quite the right guy. He did all the things and the right moves. And we sold to a foreign company who retained two out of three of the family members, but not the controller, who was the sister, because frankly, they had a ton of controllers in this big company. They need that overhead. And they kept the two brothers on. One continued for a short time as CEO. They got rid of him out of a year, which was actually longer than I thought it would take them to figure out he wasn't the right guy. <laughs> <laughs> but who am I to tell them? It's like selling you his car and disclosing all the failings of your car. You kind of cover your mouth and chuckle and say, we may find out how good this guy is. Yeah, so yeah. damaged goods, as he called. So the other brother, he stayed for three years as a sales manager, did a great job, but he just got so fed up with all their politics. After three years, he couldn't wait to get out because he did sign a three-year deal, which they did some holdback to make sure he didn't leave. <laughs> oh, how long did it take, Stan? Oh, here's the deal. So, hey, we did it in a year. We got a deal. And then they had this thing called additional due diligence. And from what I hear is we got out lucky. It only took six more months. We heard that this particular company could take as much as a year from other people we found out about did the deal. And it was partially due to the buyer being a foreign company, frankly, their practices, as well as an unbelievably detailed scrutiny, far more than usual. It was unbelievable. It was painful. I can't imagine a client doing it without, frankly, us, the broker, myself there to help them. It was difficult for me. Well, the interesting thing is we're not going to touch on it here, but There's a phrase you're going to hear if you're thinking about selling your business, and the phrase is called holdbacks. And what holdbacks are, are they put money aside in escrow and then try to do due diligence and scurry out of it. So just a thought for you. And this is why we keep telling people, you need to allow at least a couple or more additional years to whatever time frame you think you have, because this was a real example of what is market value. When we didn't have to sell, 
and they didn't have to buy. So every move they made, we counted it with another checkmate move. So we were never forced to say, okay, we give in, we'll do the deal and sell at a lower price. We could easily lost 10% of the price just from that one week link. Oh yeah, no question. We could tell countless stories about that. But here's the point. Think of exit as a next step, not an ending. This is especially true if you intend to or already are a serial entrepreneur and you expect to do this again. This exit is simply the last step in the growth plan for this business. The time for realizing and leveraging all the hard work you put into it and the time for moving on to your next adventure, which could simply be the other passions you've dreamed about. Stanley? You knew I was going to say something here. I know you know I'm a very modest guy, but I'll be a modest today, if I may. Because <laughs> I really want to share a personal story that on this. It really makes a point. And I could give you a whole long version, which I was going to, but Lonnie was afraid I would actually start to sing. But truth <laughs> be told, I was singing since I was 14. I remember my first song in a ceramics class in middle school, if you will. Short version is after spending three decades building two other businesses, CPA firm, software company, I started taking voice lessons. And I was not in my youth at the time, I might tell you, but I was never professionally trained. I said, hey, I got the money. I got the time. I've sold my business. Let's go do it. So I engaged, I actually worked with two different consultants over the years because I had a marketing ability and I wasn't too proud to get no's. I went for all my no's from prospects and ended up in quite a number of pretty prestigious facilities, including Las Vegas. But you know what? After five years of promoting myself and doing gigs and kind of simulating what it's like to be, quote, a professional, I said, you know, I miss that dynamic of dealing with clients and being their helper and counselor and just the giving part. And as much as it was joyful being up on stage and people liking it and being entertained and applauding, it wasn't the same. Frankly, it lacked the academic aspect, the mental challenge. I still do it. I actually have a doo-wop group. What I learned is the reality is I think it was God's plan because I don't think I was willing to take the risk. I don't think I would have taken the risk to do it out the gate professionally. I wouldn't make it my career. Stan, that's a great story, and it shows how the end can actually be another beginning. And let's get back to our main goal today, though, and that's to give our listeners a way to reach that end. So to start with, think of your potential acquirer as your future partner. Create a vision and a rationale for that perfect partner. What would it be for an exit for you and your business before or with your advisor, who you think is the right folks, whether a competitor or a strategic partner. Try to create a vision, rationale, criteria for that perfect partner. You might know who they are. They'll understand your business. First of all, I'd look at competitors. Look at similar kinds of companies. Now that sounds, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not doing that. But look at ones that one plus one, if you guys got together, might equal way more than two. Example, I had a small software company as a client that served a niche market. They had a competitor in that same niche. Interestingly enough, though, they both served it differently with different customers. So one was very focused on technology, the other very focused on customer service. It ended up being a marriage made in heaven. And the winners? Both companies, their investors, management, et cetera, and their customers. That's a great point, Line. If you can put yourself in the head of your buyer, that's why it's important to know as much as you can about the buyer. With the internet and all the ways you can access information, short of extremely confidential data that no one's going to get anywhere 
unless you're working inside the company, there's a ton of things you can do. And this is where a good broker comes into play. The more you know about them, the more you can be thinking like them. And that's how you put yourself in negotiating. And the same as in chess. I mean, I'm not a big chess player, but I know that takes some of that kind of thinking. But the next thing that really is overlooked, unless you have professional guidance, someone with experience, and is a real lost opportunity and why timing and giving yourself enough time to sell is big. And that's basically making the company more attractive. No different if you're selling a car or anything you might own. There's always things you could do to make it worth somebody. And it doesn't necessarily take a lot of time or money, but yet if it's overlooked, you miss the opportunity. So for example, I know this doesn't apply, Lonnie, to anyone in our audience, but those people who are used to, let's shall we say, borrowing some cash from the business <clears throat> on a tax deductible <laughs> basis, maybe that stops happening for a few years because if you're doing multiples earnings, you're going to pay for it one way or the other. Many a yep. bar, which is known to be fully cash businesses, has been unprofitable on the P&L. And then they tell the buyer, we took all this money on cash. It's not on the P&L. Yeah. So that's one stupid little example. Okay. But the other thing is gym memberships, the perks you're putting through the business that you don't have to. Because if you know you're selling in the next few years, why not beef up the bottom line? Exactly. Affectionately known as addbacks when they're looking at your company. So Lonnie, I know you can't wait to get what everyone loves to hear about. So how much can we get for the business? Let's talk about that after this message. As a small business owner, you face many challenges. You're not alone. What can be even more stressful is not having someone to talk to who doesn't have their own agenda. What if you could talk in depth and confidentially to other small business owners like you on a periodic basis? folks facing the same challenges or who have solved the same problems. The Small Business Virtual Roundtables is the answer for you. Small Business Virtual Roundtables are held monthly for 90 minutes. Membership in each roundtable is limited to 15 people, providing ample time for each member to have their issue addressed by their fellow members. These peer advisory groups are formed to avoid competitive concerns while taking into consideration company size and characteristics that closely match your own business. Need more attention? There's a complimentary 30-minute one-on-one session with the facilitators during the month to seek additional feedback. Monthly membership fees to the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are less than the cost of an hour with your attorney. And this is all done without ever leaving your office or home. Just the time savings of avoiding needless driving is worth the cost. New groups of the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are now being formed on a first-come, first-served basis. Ready to sign up? Head to sbvirtualroundtables.com to receive a complimentary invitation to attend up to three meetings. Again, that's sbvirtualroundtables.com. With Small Business Virtual Roundtables, there's no need to go it alone. And now, back to Lonnie and Stan. Well, welcome back to Lonnie. Let me ask you a question. What's your number? Valuation is a very emotionally charged issue. And your number, of course, is going to be as high as you could possibly make it. And it's an area where some of the biggest surprises, or should I say shock, come from. It's an ego issue because it validates all your hard work and becomes a scoreboard for your business success. And it's where most small business owners get sidetracked or disillusioned in the process. Whatever you do, if you have a number in your mind, have a basis for it. Either use your advisor to research comparative deals and valuations, or spend the money on the independent assessment, which can be a big piece of change, incidentally. 
And know that that valuation, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. All that's going to give you is a relative basis. That's all. It's a benchmark for the value of your business. And you might want to hold to that number, but the reality is the buyer will pay what they think it's worth, not what you think it's worth. Uh, well, and I can't even count the number of times that I've seen business owners talk about, oh, X times multiple earnings, you know, I get this, and I have no understanding about the factors that affect what net earnings adjustments, like you called addbacks, addbacks, <laughs> are needed in applying the multiples. I even get where they go, I'm taking more than probably what the going rate is, except what they don't realize is they're not even paying themselves the going rate. <laughs> and they think they're going to get an ad back for that. And worse, this is really the killer. They become firm believers about the figure that they, the experts, have computed in their minds. They get way to that number. You're like, where did you get that? Whoa! And they just fight with you because it can't be objective. So much so that they blind themselves and become self-imposed prisoners and negotiate. You're sitting there trying to represent them, and they're just being assholes, to put it bluntly. Can you say shoot yourself in the foot? This is it. I can't even begin to describe the number of times when that happens. I got a war story for you that'll put that into perspective. Negotiations are really, until you put a piece of paper down where everybody signs it to start with, which is called a letter of intent, that's courtship. And during courtship, everybody's on their best behavior. They talk about synergistic nirvana with combined companies that can reach through the sky with revenue and profits and et cetera. Extraordinarily similar views of many things will be found, both professional and personal. But eye-popping purchase prices will be thrown out in ranges. It'll always be ranges, incidentally. Hey, Lonnie, I can't help myself. Can you imagine a potential merger between Musk and Virgin Airlines with Branson? Imagine Branson and them merging to form a intergalactical space exploration company. Can you picture the business they'd be talking about? First of all, the egos couldn't get at the table. They couldn't get a table big <laughs> enough. So that's a whole other story. But as in courtship in all of this, because this is courtship, Keep your head and don't get swept off your feet. Understand and learn as much as you can about your prospective partner. Ask hard questions. Does their management style correspond with or conflict with yours? What's their strategic direction? How do they see your company contributing to that strategy? Get to know the key executive management team on a personal level. Go out for drinks with them or whatever. And then... Understand that their corporate culture is represented by the values of these folks. How does it blend with yours? How do the two companies work together? You know that 70% of most of these deals die, and they die afterward, not before. And how do they die? Lack of cultural fit. And that's a big thought. So no matter how much the financial side wins, What's going to happen is if the cultural fit ain't there, everybody's going to be unhappy at the other side. You make a good point here. We talk about why it's so important to have enough time to sell so you're not under duress. Believe it or not, most owners who sell their business actually give a damn about what impact it's going to have on the employees that remain, the people who got them there. Most employers actually appreciate and value them. And that is one of the factors in helping define companies that fit, because a lot of times they're willing to take a little bit less money if it's a much better fit for the people remaining. 
Yes. Culturally, if it's a great fit, that's worth a lot more money than you could imagine. So how do you get the best proposal from the right buyer? And I kind of alluded to that just a moment ago. And more importantly, in the shortest amount of time. So once it looks like a match, both in terms of ballpark price and how you're feeling about the kind of company and the people they are, well, it's time to put the deal together. But the most important thing we can tell you here, and this is where the railroad goes off keel here, stay out of the direct negotiations yourself. If you don't have enough trust in your advisors who are handling it, then you get new advisors, but you don't want to pick up the slack thinking you can handle it better or that your personal appeal and touch, which is great for selling and running your business, but not going to be good. It never helps you. Okay. That's why they have the fifth amendment. <laughs> not only have the right, you have the obligation to remain silent. It's tough. Owners get so frustrated and they have such egos. They think they can interject. Well, they might technically, but it's always going to backfire on them. So designate one of your advisors to be the lead horse, if you will, one with the most experience and ability, obviously, and the most willingness to work with the prospective buyers in framing the deal. And in negotiations that over the deal terms, sellers can't be objective. And it's likely to be emotional, not likely. It's always going to be emotional. And just remember the child up for adoption analogy. I've never seen that done in an unemotional way. And unfortunately, bad news is signing a letter of intent does not a deal make. The document merely puts on paper the agreement that you have in principle between you and the buyer. Typically, letter of intent's non-binding, unfortunately. Everybody thinks it's a letter of intent. That's it. And you can change your intent. You want to know, are you really serious? Because you'd be wasting a lot of time and sharing a lot of paper with people who have no real sincere interest. They're just digging out to do some strategic competition research. And it's not uncommon for big companies to play the game of acting like they're buying just to get access. And even though you can say, yeah, but it's not a confidential anything, they know you'll be outgunned by their lawyers every day of the week and you'll back down. That's the problem. This is where your advisory team earns their money. I've been through deals where the buyer put an eye-popping number on the table only to whittle it down to reality during due diligence. If it looks too good to be true, it usually is. But also be careful that greed doesn't set in. I had a deal where I was representing a training company and gotten them in front of one of the best funded through an investor group I knew and well thought of training organizations in the United States. They spent two days with the client deeply, came back to us with a great offer, then put a letter of intent together, and we met at the Admirals Club at DFW to review and formally sign it. And then my client says to them, without ever telling me ahead of time, he felt the company was worth 25% more than the offer. Obviously, they were shocked, as I was. They got back on an airplane. I grabbed my client, brought him into the men's room, and said, Robert, what the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> you know what happened after that. So get your team in the loop. This is a tricky one. Who do you bring into your confidence and when and how do you do this? It's a straight judgment call. If you have an inner circle you trust, rely on day-to-day -day operations, that's important. They're the people that you want to have. And wherever possible, have them have some skin in the game, either equity ownership or a promise of bonus. If the deal goes through... That'll have their full attention. And you know, by that time, you'll have earnest interest. Everyone will know. So Stan, pick it up from here because you know how this works. So go ahead, talk about the process of due diligence. So as we probably have made clear now, this will suck up a huge amount of time. It always, not sometimes, always does. And quite frankly, 
it could be to your advantage. So getting emotionally ready for it rather than reacting like it's a surprise is important because we keep telling you a deal is not a deal until the check clears. And here's the other point. A sophisticated buyer is always going to walk away once. That's part of the deal. And they prey on the people who don't know that, and they've already cashed a check in their mind. They incurred big debts for things they've been waiting for because they didn't have the money. Now they think they have money, and they just put you in a position that you can't say no. You've already told six people. You've already bragged about it. And now you're going to go back and say, oh, the deal I, I was bragging about, yeah. Bought the boat, talked about it at the club. Yeah. So expect that to happen. And quite frankly, expect your advisors to make you walk away once. That's the only way you're going to know you got the best deal. What I tell my clients is a deal dies a thousand deaths before it lives. And there are some situations that Almost tried to hit that number. And the only fat lady that's going to sing is going to be at the ballpark. You will not hear any fat lady singing. The only fat lady you'll see is a cop of your bank deposit that went in. Okay, You get to understand your role after the deal as much as before and begin planning for the next act. You know, once a deal is done, what are you going to do? The chances are excellent that you'll still be around in your role because most will ask you to stay a year. That's something you got to get clear. Always expect that that's going to be requested. And if that's not the case, because frankly, maybe you didn't tell them about your health problem, who can plan that? I can't fault you when that happens, but that's something you need to deal with up front. I don't know that I would offer that up front in the earlier stages prior to negotiations, but so assume that's going to happen. But guess what? Don't bank on having a lifelong career. Oh, they'll tell you that. You know, if you're in your 50s or early 60s, it looks like you got mileage left on your shoes there. They may pull you into thinking, you know, come be part of the family and all that. That rarely works that well, unless you really get lucky and the culture's an identical fit. Cultures have to be identical fits. Yep. The only marriages made in heaven are the ones you saw on TV. (laughs) (laughs) So, Lonnie, I think we frustrated and scared our people enough, but hopefully you get the idea. Why don't you wrap it up? Today's episode, we tried to give you some highlights of some of the key things that are involved in selling your business. And we barely scratched the surface. If nothing else, hopefully we've shown you that it's not that simple, which is why we started telling you to put an advisory team together to start with and help you weather those choppy waters of the process. And here are the key things we cover. Think of exit as a next step, not an ending. Create a vision and a rationale for your perfect partner. Make the company attractive to a potential buyer. Determine what your number is and what your rationale is. Make it solid. During negotiation, it's courtship. It's a good time to ask hard questions. How do you get the best proposal from the best buyer in the shortest time? Get your team in the loop. Prepare for a massive amount of time. Be sucked up by this deal. And the deal isn't done until it's done. And understand your role after the deal and begin planning for your next act. Exit planning is something to which small business owners do not give enough time or thought, usually until they have to. And then they're unprepared. Be ready. The exit's the last part of growth. Hopefully, these considerations will help you. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Well, I know about you, but even my head is spinning, and I've lived through this for decades as you have. Yep. And if your head out there is spinning, well, you're not alone. It's better now to hear about this and discovering all this for the first time rather than when you're younger and just lost. When there are live bullets flying at you, this is what this is about. And we hope you feel that Lion are delivering on our promises on 
this kind of stuff practical. So we sincerely thank you for your spending your time. And frankly, we keep inviting you to share your war stories. We love the feedback we're getting. Ask questions and even request an invitation to be a guest at one of our virtual roundtables where you can talk to people who've walked in your shoes on this topic. I can tell you, we've had some really good conversation in our current roundtable group. And your feedback would be wonderful. It has been, and we want more of it. You can take a test drive and see where it can take you at one of our meetings. And you can have up to three virtual roundtable sessions. Look at sbvirtualroundtables.com. In fact, as I said, you can come three times. Confidence and mutual fit, and we can promise you, you feel like one of the family sooner than you expect. And thanks for being here. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business. Delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call.